Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Strap yourself in, place your trays in the upright position. We are preparing for takeoff. Uh, first, a, a belated fourth, happy 4th of July to our American friends, which, of course, signifies the uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which actually, uh, it, it wasn't signed on the uh, the 4th of July. I, I, I believe it was signed several weeks later. Uh, but what a powerful document. Did you know that when the, uh, the Declaration of Independence was read, and there were an, a number of copies floating around, uh, something like 26 different copies. Some of them have only just been discovered uh, in the last 20 years or so. However, uh, George Washington read from the Declaration of Independence in New York, uh, just to give you a sense of how uh, powerful a document this was. People started to riot. They were so inspired and so incensed. Uh, they started to riot, and they uh, they tore down a statue of King George III. Uh, of course, who was the uh, the target of most of their rage. And uh, that statue was later melted down and turned into musket balls, uh, which were used, of course, during the uh, the Revolutionary War. In any event, uh, happy July 4th uh, and uh, Independence Day to uh, all of our American listeners. Also, uh, a very historic uh, time happening in Greece right now. Very trying times for Greece. Inside or outside the EU, uh, and with or without the euro, they are in for a very rough road, and my prayers go with you. Be brave. Uh, incidentally, here's something interesting. You know, a lot of, uh, I think, misinformation floating around about Greece, and how they got into this mess, and yes, they certainly uh, are, are responsible in large measure for their profligate spending and so forth. Um but do you know who the number one debt transgressor of the 20th century is? Or was, I should say. The number one debt transgressor of the 20th century. Anyone want to take a shot at that? It's Germany. In the 20th century, Germany was insolvent three times. After the, uh, the first default during the 1930s, the U.S. gave Germany a haircut again in 1953, reducing its debt um, to practically nothing. Germany has been in a very good position ever since. Even as other Europeans were forced to endure the burdens of World War II and the consequences of the German occupation. Germany even had a period of non-payment as early as 1990. So I'm just saying... Germany resisting Greece's pleas for, for some relief. It should have known better than, it should know better than most what it can achieve. Debt relief. Look at the, the economic miracle of Germany after the war. It got massive help from its former enemies, including Greece. And uh, in 1953, Greece was one of about 20 other countries which effectively wrote off a large chunk of Germany's loans, restructured the rest. It's a, it's a landmark case, and it shows again how effective debt relief can be. It helped spark what became known as the German economic miracle. And now Greece likewise needs an economic miracle. 
And uh, I believe their best hope for a miracle is by reverting back to the drachma. Hit the reset button. Uh, just a reminder to get on up to the website, richardserrett.com. Albert has posted some stories I'm sure you'll find interesting in the slide carousel. Once again, richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Uh, the one that really grabbed me uh, or grabbed a lot of attention last week has to do with this video shot from the International Space Station, which appears to show three unidentified flying objects racing by planet Earth. And just when the lights appear to blast off the planet, Wouldn't you know, the video feed is cut uh, with a message subsequently displayed on the screen stating, please stand by. The high-definition Earth-viewing experiment is either switching cameras or we are experiencing a temporary loss of signal with the International Space Station. This is NASA. Of course, the video has gone viral on YouTube and uh, led to a lot of speculation that NASA deliberately cut the feed as part of an ongoing cover-up of the ET UFO reality. And according to some, NASA has played a very active role over the years in this cover-up. In fact, my first guest tonight is convinced, likewise, that NASA has evidence of alien contact captured on video. In fact, he wrote a book about this very subject called Evidence, the Case for NASA UFOs, with a foreword by his uh, friend Dan Aykroyd. I guess this was published about a dozen years ago. Filmmaker, space scientist, mystic ecologist, David Sarita's first aspiration in life was to become an astronaut. In 1968, David and a friend witnessed a UFO along with hundreds of other witnesses. After this experience, David grew up as a UFO enthusiast, never living in doubt of the phenomena that has swept the world since the Roswell incident in 1947. His interest in space, religion, philosophy, astronomy, and science led him on his career in related fields. He's worked deeply in high technology on environmental and humanitarian issues and as a professional photographer for over 20 years. He's studied world religion, science, physics, paranormal psychology for over 25 years. And this October, he'll be speaking at ParanoiaCon in Hollywood, California on the subject of transcending the New World Order. We'll talk about that tonight. Let's get David in here. David Sarita, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, Richard. It's been a long time. I'm back in Canada now. My uh, wife and baby and I left the United States after a long, a long journey down there, and I no longer feel safe down there with my little daughter. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, welcome home. Yeah. Welcome home. You're out in, in British Columbia now. Yeah, we're out in uh, Nelson, B.C., and, and there's a lot of fires here this, this uh, July because, you know, we've had a massive hurricane winds go through here and rip down trees everywhere and lightning strikes, so there's a lot of fires burning around us. Well, that's never a dull moment on the, yep. <laughs> on the West Coast. Um, we, will, we will get around to talking about the uh, paranoia con and uh, sort of the subject of your presentation, Transcending the New World Order, but I, I wanted to get your take because this is something I know that's near and dear to you. I, I wanted to get your take on this video that has, as I say, gone viral, which some are saying that NASA cut the feed. This was the International Space Station, this camera mounted on there, and uh, three unidentified, unidentified flying objects sort of seen blasting past uh, planet Earth, and then all of a sudden the feed went dead and we had that text up on the screen saying, you know, we're having some technical difficulties. Of uh, w- w- What do you make of that video? Well, I actually haven't seen the video, if you can send me a link really quick, but, I mean, it's so typical. Oh, here it is, NASA cuts live feed. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been doing this for years. I mean, 
sometimes you can catch it. Like in the early days, it was Martin Stubbs, my friend, who was a program manager at, at uh, Shaw Cable in North Vancouver, recording all the missions while nobody's watching. And nobody was really looking for UFOs back then, so they weren't really cutting the feed very often because they knew hardly anyone was watching and most people wouldn't notice anything. But since, uh, you know, my film that I did with Martin, The Evidence, The Case for NASA UFOs, came out and Dan Aykroyd did the cover on that, yes. it, everyone's aware of NASA UFOs. I mean, they've been aware since that title came out in, in 2000. The year 2000, it came out on VHS, and then it came out on DVD in 2004 or five. So what's, what's happened now is because it's a phenomenon, um, everyone's looking and NASA's sharper, and, but they're not that sharp because these things happen really fast. And, you know, you also, you know, it, it's also really sad, too, because with a lot of the the ability of special effects and some very cheap special effects, it's pretty easy to slip stuff in these videos. So the videos really need to be analyzed properly, you know, before you really determine there's really something there. And... It's not like in the old days with VHS, and it was way harder to do a special effects job. Like when sure. I, when I did my film *Evidence: The Case for NASA UFOs*, I had letters, email letters from top scientists at NASA. I got copies from the NASA, you know, Johnson Space Center library of the same footage, like the tether incident footage. And one thing that was interesting is when I got my copy of the tether incident footage. The audio had been taken out, like in huge, important places. They they snipped the audio versus the original that Martin Stubbs had recorded, and um, they made it much lower in contrast, so it was harder to see fine details. So they they had clearly altered the original, and that's notable right there. And who do you, who, how does it, it work over at NASA in terms of the chain of command? Who would make that call? For example, let's assume for a moment that this uh, video uh, that we're discussing is legitimate. It hasn't been doctored uh, and the, the feed was cut deliberately. How would that work? Do you have any idea? I mean, who would make that call? Well, I, when I researched the space shuttle, they have several secure actual Department of Defense radio channels. And they have DOD channel for cameras. And then they have NASA, you know, which is, and they have the public, you know, channel and the public, you know, broadcast. So a lot of what they're talking about, you'll never hear on the message, on the missions in regards to what you're actually seeing. And um, uh, let's see. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, examples where NASA cuts live feed. I mean, lots. But they're not as what you're looking at to begin with is not everything they're seeing up there. I mean, I learned from NASA scientists in my emails when I wrote the book Evidence the Case for NASA UFOs and did the film that they were um there were so many different cameras on the space shuttle and there were they were retrofitted cameras where the C C D was replaced. So certain cameras could see infrared and you know, not like infrared night vision goggles. They, these cameras had really wide bandwidth, which they could peruse through specific bandwidth inside of the infrared. Very different than night vision goggles. Right. And then 
they had CCDs that could see ultraviolet near and far. So ultraviolet has near, far, and extreme UV. So you have three different levels optically. And their cameras can see into the near and the far in those days. You know, that's 1997. You know, um, you're, you're looking at footage from 1997. So what they have now is probably unimaginable on most of the cameras on the shuttle. So what the public sees is is probably really already controlled. And so if something is going by, then, you know, first you have to analyze the footage. I mean... Sure. I don't David, know. I apologize. I've got to jump in here. We've got the music coming up, so we'll uh, we'll take a break, come back, and uh, continue to discuss uh, UFO mysteries uh, and more, transcending the New World Order. David Sarita, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. David Sarita stays with us. Uh, we were discussing his, his book. We're sort of dialing back uh, a dozen or more years. Uh, evidence, the case for NASA UFOs, as we discuss this uh, this YouTube video that's gone viral that was uh, supposedly taken from the International Space Station. And uh, we see three unidentified flying objects uh, sort of blasting past planet Earth, and then the feed is cut, and NASA, um, it's replaced with this uh, text on the screen, uh, basically saying that they're having some sort of technical difficulties, and this has led to speculation that NASA deliberately cut the feed, and that they are, car- of course, a part of this ongoing cover-up of the, the ET UFO uh, reality. Uh, of course, we just, we uh, we commemorated the, um, the Apollo 11 uh, lunar landing, and um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and there's this still unanswered question, at least in my mind, about whether or not this um, discussion between Neil Armstrong and um, someone in Houston at the, the Space Control, talking about uh, Neil Armstrong supposedly seeing these UFOs as he was, I believe, descending the ladder of the... Uh, you know, to to to, uh, to to set foot on the moon. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, is that an apocryphal story? Did that actually take place? Well, see, this is what's happened with the internet now, and it, it makes everything. If it's real, it sh- it would be earth shattering, and we're going to find out if it's real as more and more technology advances, and and we can get to the moon in a more um, sustainable way so that we can set up tourist bases there, and it's going to become evident to everybody. I, I absolutely believe that because, you know, I worked in the field of nuclear fusion for over 10 years with top Nobel laureate scientists and a, a physicist from MIT who developed this uh, helium-3-based fusion, mm-hmm. Dr. Bogdan castle Maglich, and we learned that moon dust is the most um, valuable resource of the most energetic nuclear fuel there is. It's non-radioactive, and that's helium-3. Uh, Clinton Ashworth, who is the supervising mechanical engineer for Pacific Gas and Electric, the main utility in the San Francisco Bay Area, told me in an interview that one cargo bay in the space shuttle full of moon dust has enough 
helium-3 in it to meet the energy demands of the entire United States for a whole year. This That's is what China's at. China wants to get up there and mine this stuff. Yeah, so what that means is the ETs are obviously mining it. They've probably figured out how to to extract the energy out of it long ago, obviously. And that's probably why there's bases all over the moon, because, you know, even when you have an anti-gravity system, I mean, there's different levels of UFO technology from my, you know, 20-something years of researching it. Um, one is a very mechanistic type of craft that uses thruster or ion drives to move around the solar system. And if there's any other life in this solar system that's hidden from us, which there easily could be, um, when you understand temperature differentials and how different bodies can survive in different extreme temperature environments. And once you get past that understanding, there could be life all over the solar system. And those type of super powerful thruster drives, even with thrust from, like, I had a conversation with Earl Van Landingham. I spent hours and hours with this guy. He was the head of all space access and technology for NASA, and he was head of all propulsion for NASA for for over a decade and a half. And Earl told me on the phone that helium-3 could produce super powerful 18 million electron volt um, charged protons, which, because protons are heavy, and that's where most of the mass in the atom is, is in the neutron and the proton, then you would have rocket thrusters that could send spacecraft up to one-tenth the speed of light. And so that's a thruster drive. So that is incredible. That means that ET civilizations using helium-3 for not only a power source, but for thrust, could get anywhere in this solar system in an incredibly short period of time. So that's level one kind of um, space technology. And NASA has, tends to go down the road of more and more advanced propulsion ideas in could, the form of thrust. Could we use that in our in our new out of a drive? Excuse me, David. Could so, we use that the helium three in our in our nuclear reactors? No, no. Helium three is would be a benign source of energy. It exists in deep, deep um, in the Earth's mantle, deep, deep, way underneath the Earth's crust level. And in fact, recently they're reporting in California and Los Angeles that there's helium three coming out of these out of these um, caverns in Los Angeles, which means there's an earthquake imminent. This news just came out a couple days ago, and the fact that it's helium-3 means it's coming from way inside the Earth, and it means it's a very deep fault system. This could be the big one. And it could be the big one, and the fact that the helium-3 is coming out is really shocking. When I read that, I went, oh, my God, that's helium-3, not helium-4, not regular helium so that's what that means. Helium-3 is extremely rare on Earth. You can find it in deep ocean vents, and you can actually manufacture it, according to Maglitch. Now, when I was working for Maglitch, he had Glenn Seaborg, who chaired the Atomic Energy Commission under three presidents, Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon. And I was sitting with Seaborg and his assistant, Albert Giorso, at the space lab at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, right above the Berkeley campus area. And I was sitting with him, telling him about my UFO sighting, which was 1968. And I said, this lab would have had a perfect sighting of the of the spacecraft. And Seaborg had something like, um, he had 30-something levels above top secret, his assistant told me. And this is the man who won the Nobel Prize with Macmillan for the discovery of plutonium. He's, 
He's the head of, you know, everything going on at Area 51 in, for Department of uh, Atomic Energy Commission. And they were, they were working on a rocket that could send a spacecraft to Mars in a very short time. It was called NERVA, I believe. And that, the rocket test at the, the, the Nevada test site rocket, nuclear rocket station under Seaborg were successful, not a failure. And then all funding was abandoned, apparently, which means it could have gone black, it could have gone underground, and it, we could have been sending people to Mars ever since the 60s. So I'm telling Seaborg this about my UFO sighting, and he's saying that there's nobody developing anti-gravity that he's aware of, but he said if you could, you would have a power source beyond nuclear fusion, and that's what Seaborg was doing. He was supporting the Advanced Physics Corporation that I was part of in Orange County and our approach to helium-3 fusion. And the helium-3 fusion world is a massive conspiracy. So we're going back to the moon. The moon is a, the largest inventory of helium-3 that we understand so far in the solar system. And it would allow thrusts of up to a tenth the speed of light, according to Earl Van Landingham at NASA, who told me that personally. And therefore... That would represent the freedom to move around the solar system and all of our rocket, you know, drives, which can go in the tens of thousands of miles an hour at this point, some of the, you know, lighter craft, would be obsolete. But then you, when you get to anti-gravity, you see, years later I was lecturing at the UFO conference, Bob Brown's conference in Laughlin, Nevada, and after my presentation on anti-gravity technology and how it works, I'm approached by a scientist who works at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab Space Lab, and he he tells me, he said, in 1972, all of us saw a flying saucer right outside the window. And so that's only a few years later. See, I saw mine in 68. Right, He's talking right. about 1972, and which means there's probably a portal. There's pro Because the UFO I saw after 20 minutes of everyone going crazy over this thing, down low, you know, classic flying saucer, before I'd ever even heard of the term UFO, it, it, you see these wavelets. Like, it's almost like distorting um, wavelets around a pebble dropping into water, and it just disappears. It goes into another dimension through a portal. It doesn't move through the fabric of space. And so what, what he tells me is they all saw it in 72, and I had dreams of in the following days and weeks of Palladians teaching me how their propulsion drive is working, and they were not greys or, or zetas. These were human-looking, you know, blonde and brunette, you know, very tall beings, and um, they were teaching me everything about their star system and my life and the propulsion system of the craft. And again, this is 1968. I have no knowledge of ufology. There is no such thing as ufology. There's only Star Trek and My Favorite Martian on TV. <laughs> right. So, from now, the next level, so when you get to anti-gravity and you're not fighting the inertial forces of gravity, the amount of energy it takes to go super fast is tiny. See, we spend all of our energy trying to fight gravity and the forces with thrust, and we waste this huge amount of fuel trying to get off the Earth. And kill a lot of astronauts in the bargain. Right. So, but when you, when, at the moment, you, if you spend all of your energy freeing up gravity, the energy it takes to move is, is tiny. I mean, a few volts, you'll be going super, super fast. 
because you don't weigh anything anymore and there's nothing pulling on you anymore. And that is a revolution. And then when you get beyond anti-gravity, you go into interdimensionality, craft that can jump dimensions. And, and when you jump dimensions, you're able to go faster and faster and faster, and the whole universe becomes accessible to anybody who's reached that level of technology. So when one of the arguments NASA presented to me is, you know, they, they think that ETs would be using something like an ocean liner technology, and they would see it coming past Saturn and the big planets, and they would say, yeah, they'll be here in five years, and we can calculate their arrival. And they said to me, you know, we've never seen anything like that. Well, that's because they don't move through space. The only ones that would move through space would be, okay, if you pop into our dimension and you're inside the local environment, you could go whizzing past the space station and you would see some things physically moving. Um, but they don't stay in that state. If, if they're from the solar system, Mars, Earth, or even Venus is possible, um, depending on the composition of their bodies and the temperature uh, ranges of their bodies. Um, NASA has done studies and found interstellar water existing at phenomenally high temperatures. So there, there are compositions of water, which all living things, you know, need water. Sure. They can survive enormous temperatures. So th the whole idea that you have to have the temperate region is nonsense. That's complete nonsense. It's, it's a very old idea that you can only live within the temperate zone. Our bodies can only live in the temperate zone. But, for example, we even have miraculous stories of Catholic saints like walking through a burning furnace and, and, and their brown scapular robes, and even their robe doesn't catch on fire. So try to explain that. And so, those are well-documented cases. And we know also that at ground zero um, in Japan, at, at, uh, when we dropped the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there's a story of the little Catholic church. There's no burn marks. There's no radiation damage. And, you know, the, the, the practicing monks and nuns living there were untouched. So that has to do, it all has to do with vibration and the vibrational state of the atoms of that person. So that means if you can survive nuclear temperatures and you can survive a burning furnace in these altered states, you can survive on, in many different regions of temperate zones in different star systems, etc. That would certainly stand to reason. I, I want to ask you, we'll, we're coming up on a break here, but we can start the conversation and continue on after. Uh, and we will uh, talk about paranoia con and, and transcending uh, the, the new world order. Uh, but term, in, in terms of propulsion systems, I, I, I wanted to come back to that for a moment. Uh, I remember a conversation with, with Grant Cameron on the program talking about Dr. Eric Walker. Uh, who was a former president at, at Penn State and I believe had some connection with uh, MJ-12, uh, supposedly. And, and uh, he talked about the understanding, you need to understand the connection between ESP, telepathy, and the UFO phenomena. What, what do you, do you put any credence in that? Well, that's, that's my area right now. I mean, I, I am I'm literally having dozens of experiences in that area with these mantra transmitters that I, I have invented that pulse the frequencies of different star system wavelengths into your house. And, you know, I've, I literally I have people buying these things from davidserita.net and they're pulsing their room with Palladian frequencies or Syrian frequencies. And that's the key. The key is understanding the brain, 
that the frequencies of the brain, we, we can go more into this when we get back, um, match the frequencies of our Earth and the solar system. So we are beings of our solar system frequency range. But when you start pulsing your, your space with frequencies of the wavelengths of distant stars, you open up a telepathic and psychic um, and even holographic portal. I've actually seen them holographically right in front of me, not with my eyes closed, full 3D right in front of me, and so is my wife, and so is even my little daughter using these frequencies. So radio works when you any two oscillators you have, you know, usually we use quartz to create oscillations that are at the same frequency. Regardless of the separation of distance, you set up radio communication. So, All right. I've got to jump in here again, yeah. uh, David. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll pick up on that point, the connection between telepathy and UFO propulsion. David Serretta, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, welcome back. David Sarita stays uh, with us, and we are talking about, right now, anyway, uh, the connection between uh, telepathy and UFO propulsion. And, uh, uh, David, just remind us, these uh, these um, units uh, that, that you're, you're working with, uh, they're, they're made out of quartz. How do they work again? Well, the units I make these, um, they're called mantra transmitters. They're, they're flat panel, pure, great pyramid angle vortex generators that connect to a tube amplifier, and I supply people with frequencies of distant star systems and the frequencies of the nine planets in our solar system and pyramid frequencies, etc. And so the way it works is it, the human body is an electrical system. Our nervous system is electrical, which um, even Luc Montagne, who won the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the AIDS virus, um, he did tests on human DNA and found that DNA actually acts like a coil receiver inductor and can read frequencies even as low as the frequency of Earth. He actually tested human DNA at 7 hertz which is lower than the frequency at the equator of the Earth, which is about just under 7.5 hertz. Why is that important? The reason it's important is, okay, what I did is I took the, the radius. NASA had the exact radius of all nine planets in the solar system. And when you have the radius, you can calculate the frequencies on a sphere. And when I did the study, I said, these all match the frequencies of the human brain. So, you know, we have deep delta brain waves from 0.1 hertz all the way to 4 or 5 hertz, and then you've got theta brain waves, which are the next level up, and then you have alpha brain waves and beta and gamma brain waves. So all the planets match our brain waves. And I was astounded when I was looking at the numbers. I said, it's very clear that we're tuned to the frequencies of the nine planets, and it makes sense. They're so close to us. 
at the speed of light, their frequencies are upon us every minute. And therefore, because we're beings, like we dream at the frequency of Earth, you know, that's a theta brainwave length. So all beings in the universe dream that are sentient, that are living and feeling beings, because all of them need rest and sleep. So therefore, beings in Pallades sleep and dream, and beings in Sirius sleep and dream. So when I saw that NASA knew the radius of Sirius A and B, I said, I can calculate those frequencies on those spheres, and they knew the radius of five Palladian suns, and they knew the radius of Vega, and, you know, tons of stars. And I went, oh my God, I can calculate all their frequencies. And so when I did it, and I generated a whole scale of frequencies up the sides of the sphere, I was able to start transmitting them into our house, and within, literally within the first night, I was seeing the Palladians again in the dream state, in front of me with my eyes open at times, and also um, psychically on a regular basis. It's like I suddenly was tuned to them so I could I could do this. And then when I started making the transmitters more sophisticated and, and selling them and people were, you know, experimenting with them, they were writing me about their experiences too. And some people had experiences, it would take them a month, it would take them a week. Some people were super sensitive, and it happened on the first couple of nights. But nevertheless, they were all having experiences. By tuning the their space, their dreaming and sleep space and meditation space with you know these frequencies. So it, it, I literally had so many experiences with Pleiades. There's actually an MP3 file at davidsarita.net of all of my most profound experiences with them that people can listen to. It's like 45 minutes, or no, it's an hour and a half of all the experiences I had with the transmitter. But the point is, you see, some some people think that, okay, consciousness and the human body is not friendly to electricity. And Nikola Tesla argued this point vehemently, that we are electrical beings. We're not separate from electricity. Your house is pulsed in, the, in, in North America at 60 cycles a second all day long with the electricity wiring in your house. So that really irritates the brain. It also, with all the Wi-Fi towers and cell phone towers, you're bombarded with microwave activity. So we're living in a wave trap right now. We're living inside of a matrix that in, it has intentional frequencies that they use, you're not going to believe this, but to trap you. There's a book by Claude Swanson, who's an MIT physicist, called The Synchronized Universe. I don't know if you've had him on your show. I have not, no. Well, you've got to have Claude on your, on your show, because his book is all about physics and consciousness, but he's, he's an MIT guy. So in his book, he demonstrates this case where Robert Monroe, the out-of-body master from right. Monroe Institute, is sleeping in this unit where there's all these wires wrapped around his sleeping area. And with no frequencies going through the wires, he describes going out of body and going through the wires. But with certain frequencies, he was trapped. He couldn't get out of the box. And that is what they're doing to the astral plane now. There you go. Listen, we've got to take another break. That kind of nicely leads us into uh, identifying who these archons are, I guess, that uh, are uh, keeping us trapped in this cage, this prison planet, some may call it. We'll come back with David Sarita and discuss transcending the New World Order and Paranoia Con and much more. Stay with us. 
You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio AM 740. All right, welcome back. Uh, I neglected to mention we are once again doing our uh, Hangout on Air, our HOA, as the kids say. And if you want to uh, uh, join the live stream or view the live stream, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. And it's the link is at or near the top of the the Twitter feed. Just click on that and you are in. Next week on the program, while we're mentioning the HOA, let me hold this up to the webcam. Can you see that? Albert, is that visible? It's John Potash will be here, the author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us. The CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. That's uh, next week on the program. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be here for her regular monthly visit, along with the media scientist Nelson Thal. That's uh, next week. Incidentally, uh, immediately following this show, I will be uh, hosting Coast to Coast, uh, also on the uh, the Saturday. So next Saturday and Sunday on Coast. But uh, make sure you're tuned in to the Conspiracy Show uh, right here next week for John Potash drugs as weapons against us. It'll be a good one. All right. We have a, a few minutes left with uh, David Sarita. Incidentally, the website, davidsarita.net. And if you go to my website and just click on David's name, we've linked up to his site right there. davidsarita.net. S-E-R-E-D-A is the spelling. Sarita.net. All right. Let's talk uh, about Paranoia Con uh, happening this fall in Hollywood. Uh, the subject of your speech uh, or presentation, uh, transcending beyond the new world order, a rather uh, interesting uh, title. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, see, when we look at when we look at all of the harm that the bankers have done, like you know, look at Greece and Spain, and, and even what's happening in Canada. I mean, home prices are beyond the reach of you know local workers here. I mean, people can barely afford to live anywhere. And so what I'm finding is that, you know, to the main thing is to be able to be free as a soul spiritually. And um, I really believe the answer in these times is not to put so much emphasis on financial gain and survivalism and thinking you have to, you know, fight and not spend quality time with your family and your kids. But really it's about raising your consciousness and you know i've been a avid meditator for every day for 35 years doing breath and harmonics and sound work and meditation practices and studying world religions and i've i've finally gotten to the point where my meditation goes so deep almost every night i can reach these very supreme states of ecstasy and cosmic consciousness in fact, in the Gospel of Philip, Jesus actually says this, if you don't attain the resurrection or enlightenment when you live, when you die, you'll receive nothing. And part of what the Church did is it wanted to make everyone codependent, making them think that they were the only ones that could give you salvation and freedom just by signing up and getting baptized. But Jesus clearly says that isn't true in the Gospel of Philip. And it's kind of how the New World Order has duped us into us believing that you can't survive without a bank, you can't survive without their money. And the people in Greece now are, are just raiding grocery stores. And, and that will only last so long because the grocery stores won't be able to bring in any food. So it's really going to come down to communities, local gardening and local food growing and local support groups, and not so much about 
you know, how you have to keep raising the price of a home. You know, every time you raise the price of a home, people have to drive more, they burn more fuel to make more money, to do more jobs, they spend less time with their kids. Right. It's, I call it the fur line trap. This is how we imprison ourselves. We live in very ni- nicely appointed cages. Uh, th- that we, it's all about attachment, right? And obediently. We, and oh, we're willing to do this. Yes. To work 14 hour days, including our driving and commuting. And it's all because of the price of the house and the price of the food. And w- once you realize that what we're doing is, like we, like look in Canada here, we have 35, 38 million people in a country the size of, you know, the United States. And there's resources like crazy to build homes here. There's, no ability to to afford a home. Like even in these smaller regions, like where we live in Nelson, like I would love to buy land. I mean, I, I planted one and a half million trees in Canada in 22 years, and I own nothing. Laborers don't make enough money to get even get into a mortgage in this country, and yet the resources that are here to build millions of homes. That's right. They used to gauge affordability. A price. Uh, what an average police officer or a teacher. Uh, would make that's what you know the price of a, a that's home what should, it should be. be yes it should be a thirty five thousand dollar a year salary should get you a house and when I started planting trees in nineteen eighty you could pay off a house in five years as a tree planter as a as a hard working extremely hard labor but that you couldn't possibly even raise a family on a tree planter no salary the contract's anymore. been broken there was a social contract uh, yeah, that you so paid people a decent wage. Real estate brokers are making their money. They're all happy in Vancouver. The banks are happy because they make doubles because in the interest term. But that's what's happening in Greece. Look at how expensive the houses are there. It's insane. No one can touch. In fact, they're dumping their mortgages to rent because it's more expensive to own in Greece than, than it is to rent. And their taxes are enormous, their land taxes, so forget it. This is how we did it. And the resources are there to build better, more sustainable, more energy-efficient homes. There's better, I mean, science is incredibly inventive at finding ways to get, you know, into more energy-efficient homes. And there's no reason why they all have to have million-dollar price tags. That, that's what's got to stop, number one, because that's, why we have no time for our kids and our families. That's why we're working 14-hour days. That's why everyone's drinking gallons of coffee and their nervous system is shaking. So my answer to it is, look, I have this online meditation course. I've been doing this for 35 years. I know that the most important thing in your day is how good you feel, and not just feeling good. I'm talking about really super creative mind expansion states of consciousness that are completely natural and when you're naturally high everything's fine everything's just great and your desire for materialism and entertainment you know i don't think we really spend that much money in entertainment i think we're spending all of our money on energy food and the house and that's what's got us trapped right right we're not going to become a space-faring civilization until we're only spending maybe 20% of our time working, and 3D printers will be printing everything we need, most of everything we need, and we'll be spending more time with plants and local gardening, and we'll be really, really studying and learning how to get into the interstellar medium. And that's where I see the only way we'll be sustainable in the future, because if you keep raising, raising the real estate, 
we're going to be burning more and more and more and more fuel driving around. I mean, you, you wake up in Los Angeles, you know, in Toronto, and I've lived in these in Los Angeles. I, I haven't lived in Toronto, and you see all these cars moving, and you go, they're all moving around to pay for their rent and their mortgage, and they're burning all this fuel. That's right. And they, they, and they have their children so in daycare. Happier. They have their children in daycare, and they're taking second jobs to pay for the daycare. Right. And, they're, and their kids are being raised by somebody else. Yes. Yes. So that, and that's exactly is, the way it was designed. We've got to change it from the core. And, you could, yeah, the New World Order is, is spraying chemtrails on us and spraying viruses so they can sell their vaccines. They're, they're emitting frequencies through our houses and our light bulbs, which are transmitters to trap the astral plane so that you can't get out and you're stuck in this consciousness of pure survival. First three chakras. But once you activate your light body through harmonics, and, and I discovered an ancient scale in the Great Pyramid, which in the Gospel of the Egyptians, Jesus taught his disciples to do these sacred tones to awaken their light body. This is a missing gospel. That is the only way to freedom, is to turn on your light body and not get stuck in the first three survival-based chakras, energy centers. And our, our most of our civilization is stuck there. They can't get out because they're using frequencies, they're using the money system, they're using the fear that you can't even be homeless. Like, they're killing homeless people. Cops are killing homeless people it's in the true. States. It's true. It's true. You're not true. allowed to be homeless. You have to work. You have to be on adrenaline. They are, they are, char in the United States, I believe in Oregon, they are, they are charging people for collecting rainwater and growing gardens in their backyard. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I mean, it's, uh, that's why we left the States. I mean, I, there's trouble in Canada, too. It's not like it's paradise, but it's a lot better here than there. Uh, David, it was great uh, connecting with you uh, finally again, and we promise we won't leave it uh, so long the next time. Uh, let's remind people again about uh, Paranoia Con. That's happening in October in Hollywood. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be appearing there through Skype. I'm not going to go there in person because I'm... Uh... I'm staying here right now. All right. Well, again, uh, welcome home. And um, uh, hey, next time, say please say hello to us uh, to your your good friend Dan Aykroyd. I will. Thank you, Richard. Great pleasure, David. Thanks. Be well. Have a good night. All right, David Sarita, and uh, the website is uh, davidsarita dot net. Uh, let me just remind you, um, one of the uh, ways that you can listen to this program, of course, you can uh, stream it at uh, zoomerradio.ca, and uh, you can also, of course, uh, subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, again, through zoomerradio.ca, talkzone.com, and, of course, our brand new app, the Conspiracy Show app, now available uh, through the iTunes Store and at Google Play for all of you Android users. Download it. It's quick. It's free. Take the Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go. In the meantime, follow the truth. <laughs>